Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Ray Lee, CEO of Scene, a brand that's on a mission to make custom clothing possible for everyone. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious about how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Ray, thank you so much for joining me today and let's talk Limbic Sparks. Thanks, Kevin. So glad to have the chance to do this. Ray, I'm so psyched that we're having this talk. How are you doing today? I'm great. Super hyped to be on your podcast. Well, thank you again for joining me. If you were to rank the things that are most motivating to you, what are the top few things that come to mind? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think over the course of my professional life, the thing I realized that I care the most about is doing something that hasn't been done. I'm not super interested in doing a slightly better version of something that's already out there. And so I love to try things that are new experiences for people and figure out how do you create something totally new. People didn't know that they wanted, and now they realize they couldn't live without that sort of challenge is what's super interesting for me. Absolutely love that. It's it's living on the edge of a frontier. And that's right. I, I you and I are in sync on that is an incredible place to be. I know you're you're a very value-driven person. What are the things that you value most in the relationships that you have with others and the people you surround yourself with? I think gratitude is really important to be grateful that and I, I think you know the opposite of pride isn't humility. I think it's um, thankfulness. So uh, that's something that I I've realized is super important because there's been a lot of situations in my career, in my life where people have achieved some degree of success. And they think that that professional success means that they are more valuable as a human being than other people. And so, yes, maybe they have more financial value, but <laughs> that shouldn't mean that they should treat people differently. And, and so I think that's, that's something that I think about a lot. I also think um, you know, how do we, uh, if we are in a position of privilege or leadership, how can we operate in such a way where we can improve like the life outcomes of the people who we have responsibility over? And so I think about that a lot, um, you know, for the people I get to interact with or work with, and then how can I be really generous because other people have open doors for me um, to get to where I am now. So, uh, you know, I, I think success a lot of times people ask like, where does success come from? And they'll say, oh, it's 99% my effort and it's 1% luck. And I tend to think that that's not how the world really works. You know, every, even our ability to work hard is built on life experience we've had that are outside of our control. You know, I think about how I owe so much to my parents who are immigrants to the States. And, you know, I owe a lot to mentors and people who've opened doors you know, Kevin, you hired me when I applied to Interbrand for brand consulting back in the day. So I owe you for giving me an experience to learn about branding and marketing. And, you know, to think that, you know, I've gotten to where I am because I'm 
oh, smart guy is, is I think that's nonsense. So gratitude, generosity, um, and trying to be other centered are, are things that are really important to me. Let's go deeper into an area uh, and have a little bit of fun. Somebody talks about brands, it conjures up an image, it conjures up feelings and perceptions. So can you name three to five brands that paint a picture of what you're all about and why they paint that picture of you? Yes. So I'm going to be super cheesy and stereotypical in my responses. I'm going to say the things that everyone else says, but I think these brands are famous for a reason. So I love Apple. Um, they've done such a great job in terms of using design to solve needs, right? They were able to take a, a, a category that was a race to the bottom in terms of pricing and be able to use um, human-centered design to create a premium product that now is like one of the most valuable companies in the world. Like that's, that's incredible. No, that's the opposite of what a typical business person would suggest. I also think what's really interesting about Apple is they've been able to do cool in a mainstream way. And I think that's hard. You know, a lot of times when you build a brand, you're thinking about how can I build it in such a way that has global appeal. And I, I see a lot of direct-to-consumer brands, for example, who are trying to be so cool um, for themselves, but they're not really thinking about how can I reach you know, the most amount of people. So I, I think the way they've constructed their brand to have that level of premium, but so much broad um, like accessibility is super rare. It's just, it's, just, it's incredibly on point. Um, so yeah, I think their branding, their storytelling is amazing. Nike, love, 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 love Nike. I keep going back to it as inspiration for seeing the fact that they were able to root their brand in a like core emotional idea and not on their products is why they've been around for so long. I've talked to, um, you know, when you look at a lot of brands today, a lot of them don't have soul. They have this beautiful exterior, some agency made it look great, but there's no soul. And so who knows if they'll be around in 10 years. And I, I think Nike is one of the few brands that has just incredible richness in meaning. And when you wear a piece of Nike clothing, it makes you feel a certain way about yourself and what you can accomplish. That's super rare. Um, and then, uh, you know, I have respect for like Porsche. Um, I've been thinking about this recently, how Tesla has innovated so much in its interface and in its um, in software, energy, all this stuff. It is impressive that a brand like Porsche still has the cachet that it has, even though functionally it's not, there's a lot of aspects where it's still wanting, right? But so I, I do think um, brands like that who have this long history and legacy that can still command a premium, even if they're functionally <laughs> have some limitations, it's amazing. So I, I respect that. Um, yeah, those, those would be three that I, I personally love. Can you talk about brand experiences that you've had that you really admire and that have been an inspiration to you? I think about Aesop, the skincare company. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go in the mall, they always have their, uh, the dispensers out. And I, I recently heard the origin story for it, which is their first store was in this sort of underground ish type of location. And you had to walk down, it would be easy to miss. So they decided to put the dispensers out and they, um, 
that that sort of that that iconic introductory experience to the brand was something that came out of necessity, not because they were these brilliant, you know, strategists. They were just like, crap, no one, we have this really cheap retail store. No one's going in. So we need a way to get them to go in. And, and now it's this like elevated luxury brand that, uh, you know, people think of having you stop in their home as product placement. So um, I love that. I just love when scrappy ideas turn into long lasting brand signatures for companies. So um, I love that Nike's logo was made by, you know, <laughs> a very inexperienced designer. So th those are things that come to mind for me is um, I love it when you're an underdog and you can stumble onto something. Um, that's, that's a very beautiful thing. Have there been retail brands, other retail brands that have given you a thought for uh, how you would like seen to either come about or, or maybe even not be like? Retail is a really interesting world. Um, I think what's cool about the Ralph Lauren story, again, was someone who um, didn't have any business really making a very, um, like this global brand, right? He's selling ties from a stall, men's ties. And now, um, but he but, but was super, had a great creative vision for the story that he could um that, that would be behind the brand. The, the documentary Ralph is super interesting. It was basically like that Ralph Lauren was just as much of a like director and filmmaker as he was a, um, as he was like a fashion designer. So he was really great at creating the world. So I respect that because I, I, I do think so much of buying any product is about the world that you create. And it's not just about the hard good. Fashion is just an example of a situation where you, you really have to do that because people are buying into the world. That's why a, a, a logo is so valuable. Um, but I also think fashion is a category where the, the, the beautiful exterior conceals a very broken supply chain. You know, people who are working below minimum wage, there are unsafe factory environments. There's a ton of waste. There's a lot of like lack of consideration for the impact on the environment and impact on local communities. So, you know, it, I, I think it's a category that has all this promise to make people feel really good about themselves, but also has a lot of systemic issues that need to be corrected. When we met, you had just left Deloitte where you were a business consultant for a couple of years, and then you joined Interbrand and we had the chance to get to know each other and you had a really good run there and did some really amazing work. And then you left to become an entrepreneur. You launched Suitable, which I, re I remember when you launched. I remember your, your little office on Broadway and you measured me with tape and all that. That was amazing. <laughs> and then ultimately some things changed. You had some revelations. You went out to the West Coast um, and you transitioned to scene. What was your, first of all, what was your inspiration to leave consulting and start this business? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things. One, the it was so rewarding in the inner brand days because you could it was blue sky, right? You could dream anything. It was so exciting to think about these legacy industries and think about how we could reimagine the brand to the product to the experiences. And I wanted to see 
what it would be like to actually do it. Because sometimes the client, whether it's for political reasons or just, you know, they don't like, we just can't make those things real. So the idea stays an idea and you can't actually execute it. So I was really interested in, I would love to see the whole thing through. I would love to make a brand be like truly try to, cause we are our whole thing, right. Was we were always selling like, we need to be customer centered. And if you were customer centered, you could make this incredible brand that people would love. So I was like, that's awesome. Let's do it. And at the same time, I was, I remember one of my last projects, we were doing the consulting work for um, Qualcomm and we were doing the global rollout and we were, I, I was doing, doing workshops in a couple of different countries. And we spent a weekend in Shanghai, um, Dan Spiegel from <laughs> in a brand, he was like, Hey, let's go to the fabric market. Let's get some custom suits made. And I was like, okay, let's go. And then when we were da- there, Dan said, Hey, I like, don't know what to get. Can you help me make some choices? So I was like, I'll design this for you. And then I thought to myself, why is custom usually like this, these luxury brands that this, or just any sort of brand they have a cool branded experience. And then custom is sort of build a bear. You have to figure everything out. Um, why can't you somehow merge this? It was a very simple idea in the beginning. And then a buddy of mine said, Hey, I want to order some suits through you. And like, what, what would it cost? And I think the initial idea, I was like, let me take my costs and just multiply it by two. <laughs> and that can be the retail price. And uh, <clears throat> totally different proposition, different problem we were solving for at the time. But I think it was just sort of like, life is short. Why not give this a try? It's kind of fun. And I can see if everything I've learned actually works in real life. Um, and then, yeah, it, it was a long road to actually figure out a business model that could scale. But initially it was just sort of coming out of the place of this would be really interesting to see if it works in real life. And I'd love to try it. It's such a great story. And uh, it's amazing how we get inspired to do things in life and how one little moment or one little activity triggers like a whole new trajectory. I, as you said that story, I vaguely remember you and Dan coming back and, you know, being all excited about your custom suits. And I never put two and two together that that might've been the inspiration for what you're up to today. That's really incredible. That was, that was it. We trace it back to that. In fact, our first manufacturer was the manufacturer we used in Shanghai. That is incredible. That yeah. is incredible. You know, I, I know that you often talk about um, in social media on, on, on other things, other places where you speak, you often talk about how the first years were rough. Um, and there, there must have been some really big learnings along the way um, and how it led to the business model that you have today. And I'm curious what some of those biggest first learnings were. I think for any challenge that's worth pursuing, there is a learning curve that can be very painful. And custom, that this question of how do you scale custom, and make, because that's essentially what we're trying to do. We believe that traditional retail is broken, a few sizes fits all, that type of business model doesn't work. And that's why there's so much um, waste in fashion. That's why fashion companies lose so much revenue, up to 30% from returns due to fit issues. Like there's just a lot that needs to change. So, um, but a lot of people have tried to tackle the problem, right? So uh, people who've been, have raised tons of venture money, have gone out of business trying to solve this problem. So it, it's a hard challenge. And I was like naive and thinking like, oh, I got this. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Isn't that how we all start our own businesses? Oh, I got this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, I, 
I know how to build a brand. I got this. And, and I, I do think actually a lot of the, the disciplines and everything I learned from the Deloitte and the Interbrand days actually were foundational in getting to where we are now. Um, but yeah, the, the first couple of years are really, really tough. And I think it made me question a lot about if I had what it takes, if um, it, it, a lot of people looked at what I was doing. I was like, oh, that's, that's cute. That, that's cute that you're doing that. <laughs> so condescending. So, you know, and understandable, I, I, it wasn't growing or making much progress. So I, I think there's, a, there was this thing with um, the founder of NPR, he had this quote, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but basically he said, the challenge for anyone who's creative is you got into the field because you have high tastes. But once you start creating, you realize your output is crap. And you need to keep generating that output until your output over time, you learn how to make it good so that the output matches your tastes. But most people give up in the interim period because they're like, oh, I'm so ashamed of what I put out that, or I'm so disappointed in myself and they can't, they can't move past it. And so I, I think that happened to us too, right? Like we, we had those years of just trying to learn, trying to figure things out, um, disappointing and not meeting expectations. and. But I, I think that whole period of time, what I look back now, I see that there were all these insights about customers that we were gathering and learning by being in the grind and physically measuring people with a measuring tape at the time. I got to know customers and the problems they were dealing with so well that when, when it got time to relaunch the company, we felt like we knew the space better than anyone else who's trying to solve the problem. So, you know, I, I think there's some big, life lessons in there that I took out of it. Um, can't, can't skip the struggle. And also um, it's you win when you know your customers better than anyone else. Mm. That's, that's wonderful. Y your mission, um, making custom clothing possible for everyone. Was that the mission from the beginning or did, did you evolve into that? And how does it, how does it affect your approach to the business? Yeah, that was always the idea. And we, I think we've wordsmithed it a couple of times over the period, but it was always this idea. We would just believe that this should be normal. Like everyone should have access and um, making it possible for everyone means a couple of things, right? Like traditional customs only available to men really. And it's also extremely expensive and it's a complicated process that takes too much time for most people. So to make it possible for everyone, we had to come up with a process that was super intuitive and simple. We had to create a brand and an experience that worked for all genders. And we had to make it super fast so that it was relevant. And we had to figure out a supply chain and operating model that um, made it affordable. And, and so all of that kind of led to what we have now. But the, the, I think the belief, shockingly, even in the early days was still kind of the same. It just, uh, the, I think the high level belief was always the same. The strategies we had in place were pretty bad. And <laughs> it took us a while to get to the right, um, like we had the wrong product, we had the right, wrong market, we had the wrong like channels. Um, so usually people only have like one or two wrong, but we had all three wrong. <laughs> so like, it took a while to get, to get there. Um, so. I, I know. And you just mentioned uh, that you're, you're really focused on customer, customer insights and understanding what people want and knowing that better than anyone else. How do you gather customer insights today and stay current on what people want? 
we talk to our customers all the time. And we, we spend a lot of time talking to people who have never shopped from the brand, people who are super loyal to the brand. You know, so kind of look at the whole spectrum. And it's been so valuable for us because it's not just about specific pain points related to their experience. We now kind of have an understanding of all the, the aspirations and the hopes and dreams of everyone who shops with us. And it's, I think it's helped us to also build a brand that's deeper than just a functional proposition around fit, right? Like I, I think we, we realized that um, a lot of our customers, a lot of them were entrepreneurs. A lot of them were creatives. A lot of them have taken risks in their own like life, in their own professional journey to pursue something greater. And we were like, oh, we can like create a brand around this. And, and so our, our like brand idea, and this took a while to develop is cut your path. So it's that, you know, you're, you're, you're going down a road that no one has ever gone on before you're rejecting convention and you're, you're making your own way. And so why not have clothes that are also cut to fit just as you do your mm-hmm. own thing. And I don't think that would have been possible if we hadn't spent so much time talking and doing video chats with customers. Wow. And as it relates to the customer experience, um, customer insights, do they have a role in helping you evolve the experience? Yes. Every aspect of the way we would always go back to talking to customers and it would unlock new insights for us on how to craft the experience. Like for us to have this single quiz that was powered by AI, that once they took it one time, they could shop from anything in our collection. This was because we kept on talking to people. Like initially we actually had a separate quiz per product style. And that's kind of um, like no one up to like before us has ever thought of like a singular moment, this one time you take it one time and then you can shop from anything. That's kind of a new idea. So, um, but that was because we were talking to people and they're like, wait, I'd have to take multiple quizzes. (laughs) You know, so it's sort of like you hear from from enough people, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But um, it's shocking how few executives and how few companies really spend time with their customers. They just do things based on their own gut. But we, we, um, we just find that there's so much value in talking to people. Yeah. It, it is incredible how many people um, don't go down that road. I, I think a lot in the work that I do about emotional benefits versus what other people refer to as either rational or functional benefits. How much of a role does emotional benefits play in your sales and, and your loyalty? Yeah, I, I think it's it's so massive. It's especially in, in I think retail as a category, it's more obvious that you can't just be a functional product. And I think, um, and it also relating to customer insights, we'd have these discussions with customers, and they would say, "I like your product, but I really love your brand." <laughs> mm. You know, and and, and they. Uh, they, you know, they talk about the aesthetic, but they would also talk about how it speaks, it speaks to this idea of the, they basically verbalize the cut your path idea. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it's working. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think it's so true. And especially in the world that I'm in of direct to consumer, the emotional benefit actually isn't valued that heavily. People are thinking a lot about, you know, my world, people are thinking a lot about digital marketing, performance marketing. How do we get Facebook ads and Instagram ads to convert? And for, 
for about five years ago, any direct-to-consumer company could get to 10 million pretty quickly just through Facebook and Instagram ads without building a brand. But now because that channel is so saturated, in order to win, you have to figure out a deeper meaning, a deeper brand, uh, like um, resonate with your customers beyond just the product. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's so important, but it's not in the training uh, path for a lot of founders. Yeah. So uh, why do you think then, why do you think that some brands are still neglecting the power of emotion and emotional insights in how they go about their business? I, I think it's an under, it's an overlooked discipline. If you can, because essentially you can kind of brute force your growth, right? You can brute force your growth by like saying, okay, I'm willing to actually lose money on my first customer, or I'm willing to like just spend a ton of money on ads that fire customers. And you think that that's just your only option. Whereas it's like, okay, what if we take a step back and think about creating like a deeper emotional connection with your customers. And maybe that will actually translate into more efficient like customer acquisition. But people don't aren't really talking that way. And for a lot of companies, when they see that, oh, marketing spend is less efficient on converting or at retention, they most of them don't think about brand. Most of them are thinking like, I need to improve my email flows or I need to get a different agency partner to make better ads right? They're not thinking at the, the highest level. So it, it just, I, I think a lot of it actually comes down to the, um, the discipline and background of the specific leaders. Like I'm grateful for my time at Interbrand because you like, right. Well, I kind of learned the value of brand and how that's critical and how it needs to inform everything. But if you don't know that sometimes you just think that it's, it's an execution problem. It's not like a deeper DNA problem. So what advice would you have for uh, other leaders if their goal is to create limbic sparks, these moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire? Yeah. I think you have to have a deeper meaning beyond, um, beyond product. Like what is a universal idea that people could love you for, even if they can't buy your product? So, you know, um, Nike, if you have a body, you're an athlete. Even if you don't know Nike product, you can still get behind the idea. My favorite Nike ad is the one of there's a um, there's a like a boy that's overweight and he's running. Um, uh, uh, he's like running on this very very long road, mm-hmm. and they talk about how we think greatness is something we're born into. Greatness is something that that you know is passed on, but he's like. No, greatness is something that is made and it ends with the line, find your greatness. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I love that ad. I, I could picture I could picture that young man running on that long road right now. I, I see it in my head. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think we all have to do the work of saying, what is that universal truth, universal idea that people can rally around for our brand? So, you know, for scene, it's this idea of the underdog that finally finds their own way. And so whoever you are, you love that idea. And it's very authentic to who we are as a company because, you know, we are the underdog. (laughs) So um, I just think there's so much value in that. It makes it easier to, it's a lens through to find brand partnerships. It 
dramatically makes it easier to acquire customers. So it, it actually translates into performance results. Um, and I think it, it helps with retention. So there's, there's a lot of functional reasons why you should do it, but I think ultimately it, it is like a guiding lens to make a bunch of business decisions. Wow. That's incredible. My last question for you is as a brand or business leader who has been through a lot in the last few years, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago, perhaps something that other brand leaders can learn from? I think for a brand to really permeate the entire company, the person who, you know, I think it's very difficult if the CEO doesn't believe in it. It has to really permeate the product, the experience, and the marketing. It can't just be one. It has to also be something that permeates the um, the operational organization, particularly like the customer service arm. So uh, you have to keep pounding this idea home over and over, like in the all hands meetings, in the weekly meetings, in the one on one. And it has to be it really. I think the brand idea needs to be true to the DNA of the company and the culture of the leadership. I think sometimes you find these uh, moments where companies are really embarrassed and have to apologize for stuff when they create a brand that is different from the actual culture of the organization. So for example, if you're like a really fun, um, very inclusive brand, but the leadership are all very mean cutthroat, um, you know, boys club people, it's going to come out and then it's going to be bad. I, I remember when the pandemic happened and there was a lot of backlash actually against Adidas because Adidas has built um, a, a brand on top of uh, black culture. And then they, a lot of stuff started coming out that they were really discriminatory against black employees. And then they made a ton of mistakes with how they were handling retail employees um, in terms of closures and not protecting their safety. So it was like, wow, that really backfired on you. <laughs> you know, it, it was, it wasn't, it was a dope brand with emotional resonance, but it wasn't authentic. So I think that is, or, or there, there, there were, there were inconsistencies, probably a better way to. Well, I've so enjoyed this conversation, Ray, and thank you so much for joining me on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Thank you so much, Kevin. It was awesome to chat with you. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.